Hello, Henrietta. Hi. Welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. Um, Henrietta, we are. This is a bit of a departure this week. Well, not really a departure. This is very much in line with some of our our earliest subjects. It's more culture focused than say fashion focused. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. But it's funny because I guess it's also just as it pertains to the podcast because we talk about this stuff all the time. So it's nice to bring it onto this platform. I totally agree. And let's dive right into it. You know, this topic has been has been heavily discussed over the last week or so. And it's just something that we couldn't ignore because we've had such dialogue about it. And a lot of people have raised the subject with us. And so we thought to make it the, the subject of this uh, week's podcast. And that being the video and the song WAP by Cardi B and Megan Stallion. And the question this week is, is WAP, the song and the video, a positive or negative influence on culture? Correct? That's, that's where we are with this, right? <laughs> that is the parameters of this conversation, yes. Okay, and I think it's important. I think it's important because let's not take for granted, Henrietta, that um that the this entire audience knows the contents of this song and knows the messaging that's in there. So I have excerpted <laughs> certain certain bits just to start <laughs> off, just to lay the foundation. You're like, let me clear my throat. Let me let get me clear you. my throat and let me you know <laughs> let me drop some of these. <laughs> some of let these. me drop you some bars. <laughs> drop you some bars. Okay, so bear with me. Okay. Um, this um, is both from Cardi and from Megan, from their respective, um, you know, their respective verses. Okay, you fucking with some wet ass pussy, bring a bucket and a mop for this wet ass pussy. Beat it up, nigga. Catch a charge. Gobble me, swallow me, drip down the side of me. Pay to w- pay my tuition just to kiss me on that wet ass pussy. Now make it rain if you want to see some west wet ass pussy. I don't want to spit. I want to gulp. I want to gag. I want to choke. That's just some of the bombos. I'm dying. This, this, I'm this, sorry. This, this gem, this gem of a of a of a tune that I'm dying. Wildly, wildly. Well, l- l- okay. Let's take it back a little bit. These words are coming from these words are coming from two of the biggest superstars right now in music, in culture. And I want to be clear, you know, this is a man speaking, and much of the dialogue, much of the discourse has been about female empowerment, and you know, and essentially these women are are allying and they are really taking charge of their sexuality, and this is about female empowerment and they should be able to express whatever they want about their sexual prowess and their sexual identity and you know their their predecessors to this little kim was raunchy in her lyrics male superstars rap stars have been really raunchy in their music for the last 30 years why is this song getting so much attention why is it getting so dissected why you know why is um why are we asking of these two superstars you know is this the right messaging in culture? And here's the thing. Let me let me put my. I guess you're surmising my my position on this from 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 the get go. Here, here's what I have to say about this. There is 
absolutely nothing wrong. You know, I'm not a cisgendered man. I am a man who I don't have this hard coded view on what a woman should be. Well, in fact, yes, I do. I have a hard coded view on what a woman should be. And that is exactly what a man can be. I feel a woman can do exactly as a man can. A woman is just as empowered as a man can. I am not one of those people who see women in any way differently than I see man, than I see a man. In fact, in many ways, like I attribute strength and I attribute, you know, perseverance and resilience more to a woman than I do a man. However, what this is about for me is about these two incredibly popular popular female. And let's focus on Cardi B here for a moment. Cardi B has distinguished herself over the last year or so as a, you know, political advocate. You know, she is, she has, she's holding summits with Bernie Sanders. She is working for prison reform and really has lent her voice to politics and something that she really hasn't had to do, but she has really broadened her scope beyond, you know, you know, putting out raunchy music and stripping and, and surgeries and all that kind of stuff. To her credit, and that's even more why this is problematic for me, because it's undeniable that her great influence is there. And this is not about influence. If this music was only tailored to adults, there would be absolutely no problem with this. This, this is adult music. This is played in adult venues. And, and it's all about raunch and adult and, you know, self-sexualization and empowerment. Oh, go at it. Have, a, have an amazing time. I'm not a prude. I'm not. There's nothing purist about me when it comes to sexual expression. You do you. Please express yourself. However, when this music is targeted at young black and brown girls who are so impressionable. Oh my God, I cannot believe that, you know, that great minds out there in culture is giving this a pass when I think that this is so, so egregious. This is such a negative influence, as I said, primarily for black and brown girls. And you know, I've had a problem with Cardi B when she first came out, when she munched blood shoes, when literally in that statement alone, she is endorsing gang culture again, to black and brown girls in such an influential way and then cut to this raunch, this filth that is proposed for young black and brown girls to supposedly empower them. Now, Henrietta, this may be an unfair question because your child is three years old. And, you know, even though three years old are listening to Cardi B and Megan Stallion, oh, but let's, let's increase the age a little bit. Let's put it up to 10 years old. Let's put it up to 12 years old. Can you imagine sitting around, and mind you, they can access this anywhere. Can you imagine that your young daughter is digesting these words and synthesizing them and trying to understand and implement them in her life in any way? Can you imagine that? And again, three years old, maybe, you know, that may be unfair to ask of you, but just move it up to 10 years old because they're listening to Cardi B and Megan Stallion. Can you imagine that? And that is my grievance in this, with this song and this video. And I, I, I have more points to make, but I'll let one of you weigh in here. <laughs> Wayne. Oh my God, Jason, that was a lot. That was a lot. That was a lot. I don't even know where to start. Firstly, this is where I'll start. You reading those lyrics might be a new podcast idea. I had to hold my hand over the microphone because I was crying. And I think you just announcing lyrics out of context in that way is like a genius podcast idea. So I'm just going to leave that right there. Um, to your last question about 
10, 13 or whatever year olds. Yeah, in theory, it's problematic, but I'm not even going to lie. As a huge Lil' Kim fan growing up, Lil' Kim's album, Hardcore, her debut album came out when I was 13 and I was listening to it. So I think in some ways there is a separation because I enjoyed her music. I thought she was insanely talented. I didn't fully understand the scope of what she was talking about. So no, I wasn't impressionable and listening to Notorious Kim being like, suck my dick. You know, so I think from experience, I understand that there is a separation between self, art, craft, and the idea of being super impressionable and being hypnotized to the words of these people and therefore doing as they do. I understand your point because yes, I would obviously feel really uncomfortable with, you know, when you explicitly outline the lyrics, thinking about my daughter, obviously she's super young now, so it's a different thing. But I think even going back, I'm sort of trying to remember your earlier points, actually. So you asked a very specific question as to why is everyone dissecting this song? I think the time is quite relevant. I think when Lil' Kim came out, for instance, she was the first. She was the first lady of hip-hop, both literally and figuratively. That was sort of what the discourse was centered around. Everyone was like, who is this woman? Like, she's super explicit. What's going on? She had the style. She had the swag. She was, you know, she had a real sense of who she was. We hadn't really seen it in that iteration before. I think what is happening now is that where we are with the pandemic, where we are with the racial and the civil unrest and politically, I mean, literally we have a president using hush money for porn stars. Like, We're at this point where we're talking about race, we're talking about misogyny, we're talking about the patriarchy, we're talking about racism, we're talking about misogynoir, we're talking about women's bodies, we're talking a lot about how black bodies are policed and female expression and and me too. And so I think that it is a, a melting point to talk about all of these hot topics through the vehicle of this song. And I think that's ultimately what's happening and why there's so much dialogue around it, uh, for and against it. Um, and then in terms of the song itself, I know that this is what a lot of people are talking about, but I grew up listening to Foxy Brown and Lil' Kim and Adina Howard and Missy Elliott and Nicki Minaj. And so for me, it's this it just isn't anything new at all. This is literally from a long lineage of female rappers who do it like men do. And so to me, I can really take it for what it is and accept it for what it isn't. And, you know, we can't deny that we were dancing to things like my neck, my back. Even if you look up Push It, it's literally like a 90s iconic song. It's played at bar mitzvahs. Like it's, and, and those lyrics aren't exactly pure. So for I me... I, come on, I think you're being a bit disingenuous. I, I mean, you, you, uh, you know, Push It is a very different, is a very different thing than gobble me, swallow me, drip down the no, side. But I don't, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree though, because I think that, look, there's like a spectrum, of, like sex cells and that's the spectrum, right? You have those suggestive country girls and their daisy jukes and they're, they're being super suggestive, like using metaphors without being explicit. You have a teenage Christina Aguilera, I'm a genie in a bottle, you better rub me the right way. You have hit me baby one more time. And then you have something as explicit as WAP, but it's a spectrum. So 
like who gets to say what is right and what is wrong? Because I would argue that actually hit me baby one more time or genie in a bottle. I'm just like, you're cloaking it in all of these like weird things that like girls kind of like, oh yeah, like, um, you know, it's like super suggestive. So actually you could argue, is it not a spectrum? So no, I, I, I think that push it, like the fact that we're all just like, yeah, push it. And it comes with the dance that was literally hip thrusting. Like, I do think that they could be lumped in on the, on a spectrum. No. But what about, what about this, this, this statement from UNICEF? Hypersexualized models of femininity in the media affect the mental, emotional, and physical health of girls and women on a global scale. I mean, this is science, let's say. This is important um, data that speaks to how young girls are, are influenced and how their representation, or at least the representation in their adult form, and influencing the younger generation, that what happens there, the mental and the emotional and the physical health that, that it impacts. And to boot, I, I have to express to you, on one of um, Cardi B's posts, she's like, Oh, we uh, and she, her, and 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 Megan Stallion in a shot in their in their you know cotillion type of wear. She's like, we really out here looking like Disney princesses. I, I I nearly I nearly choked. I was like, oh, so you're advancing this narrative, Disney princesses? Who does Disney princesses speak to? And mind you, this is on the backdrop of there's so, uh, there's some whores in this house and and so on and so forth. This is effectively, <laughs> I mean, all of this is packaged in essentially prostitution. The messaging is almost like, here is your prostitution card to black and brown girls that you can go this route to your, um, for your ascent in life. That, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be so literal, but in many ways, that's, that's, that's where, that's, that's the messaging to me. That's how I take it. And I, I happen to feel like there is this this sort of false sense of empowerment that is wrapped up in this. And it's so easy, you know, we, you know, we have to understand, like, people are like, oh my God, well, when it comes to black and brown women, you know, this criticism is leveled. This criticism for me certainly was for also black and brown men. Um, it's kind of funny how you don't, you don't have many examples. Yeah, you threw out the Britney example, hit me baby one more time. You don't really have a lot of examples of the white counterparts, you know, acting out in such a way, being raunchy in such a way. I look at issues like who runs these record companies? Who's promoting these people? Who co-signs that, you know, Cardi B and Megan Stallion is able to put this out in culture without, you know, sort of checking the impact there? Why are there not more white examples of this? Why are Black women allowed to go out there to essentially spread their pussy hole in order to say that they're empowered? Why is that the case? And how does it get to be, how in turn, like people like Mark Lamont Hill, you know, champion this as a, as a, as a female, you know, a female allyship and empowerment? How is it, how are they able to even impact some of our greatest intellectual minds? And I got to tell you, I've been floored by the endorsement by some of these highly respected people in my camp. You know, Tamika, Tamika Mallory got into quite a, a, a thorny situation this week when she dared to put up this thing on her feed. This is a woman who's fighting for Bianca Taylor, who's one of the most important civil rights advocates of our age, yet she sort of like wantonly puts this in her feed and she got quite a drumming. She got, I mean, she, she sort of, you know, she held, she pushed back and she was saying, you know, this is my private life. I'm able to endorse whatever I can. But I got to tell you, 
her reputation was stained in that because it, it, it the optics, it just, it doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. And it simply is not right. Again, there's nothing wrong with women taking ownership of their bodies and taking ownership of their sexuality. This is not about pitchforks and torches, you know, uh, against women for feeling sexual and for expressing their sexuality. It is about how it's broadcasted and who receives it. And I'm talking about the children. But people seem to have, people seem to have like sailed over that. I don't understand. Well, um, one of the things that, I mean, there was a lot there again, but I think that when you talk about there aren't white counterparts that are overly sexualized and why is it about black women spreading their legs or whatever, it's like, I think that in the art, right, if you take music and songwriting and to be the art, it's a pushback against something, right? Or it's like a reclaiming of something. So I would argue that when it comes to white people in music, it's very much about the submissive woman, the suburban, ha- ha- and that's why you get the schoolgirl, the genie in a bottle, like the Daisy Dukes, aren't I so cute? And but I'm really suggestive because that's being subversive around this idea of what it is to be submissive but powerful and taking back that narrative, whatever shit that whole thing is. In the same way that I think for black women who historically from slavery to today have been like overly sexualized from a really young age, overly policed and self-expression has been highly topical. That's reclaiming that narrative. So like, let's say men in hip hop who are talking about women as bitches, as whores, as this, and then taking that on its head, just that idea of like, I'm going to reclaim this narrative and use it in my power. So I think there is a racial component to why you're not necessarily seeing the same like for like, but it's not a like for like thing. I mean, you literally have people like Lady Gaga, who's like, ride my disco stick. and She's all there humping on stage. You've got Miley Cyrus. You've got Christina Aguilera, whole, whole ex-Zena thing with the chaps. We've seen white women in music be overly sexualized, literally Madonna and her whole sex book and tour and simulating sets on stage. And so we have seen it is my only point. And obviously that's not really... The dialogue, but I I do want to address that point because I think that while it's not necessarily like for like, we have seen those examples, but I think it's also a slightly different context because of the racial component. Um, And then what was the other thing? You were saying that you, yeah, there is a mental component to this, but I I think that for me, the conversation is, is less about the merits of the song. For me, my sticking point is who gets to say on this sexual spectrum, let's say, like it's a common Hollywood trope or advertising trope, sex sells. So I I guess my question is who gets to decide and benchmark what's acceptable on this sexual spectrum? Like we could literally say, okay, well, this blonde with her finger in her mouth, giving it all cute, where's the beef, like riding on a whatever is fine, but WAP is too far. Who gets to say what is acceptable? Because we see these images and these songs and these lyrics and in various forms, cloaked and explicit, um, metaphorically speaking and literal. We see that in popular culture, but my whole argument is like, okay, well, who gets to police that? And should we be policing it? Because my whole thing is as long as you're not glamorizing violence or rape or rape culture or whatever, it's like, isn't it really about self-expression we can't really police that because then where do you stop we talk about gender bending or we talk about expressing queer love there are real right-wing conservative 
people think it's problematic. And it becomes this thing of like, well, then where's the line? Like, who is policing? Like, who gets to say what's right, what's not wrong? And I think the idea that there is this whole army of women that's like, this is sexually liberating, this is sexual empowerment, they can't all be wrong. So I'm not so much arguing the merits of the song as to like, where's the line? For me, that's the question. Where's the line? And who gets to decide where that line is? Well, I'm glad that you brought up violence because, you know, to to the impact on the audience that I'm speaking about, that being uh, young girls, um, this is also from UNICEF. When women and girls are repeatedly objectified and their bodies hypersexualized, the media contributes to harmful gender stereotypes that often trivializes violence against girls. That says a lot to me. And again, like, I don't, I don't, you know, you, you sort of like, um, dangle this, you know, this thing in a, a theoretical space. Like, well, who gets to, who gets to say, who gets to sort of, you know, create those lines or who gets to say what is um, acceptable and what isn't. Let, let's talk about our community here. Let's talk about what we buy into and what we endorse. There's not, uh, no one set, not a single person set the tone, not two people set the tone. I'm talking about a culture. I'm talking about a culture like we as a culture, and, and let's be honest, as a black and brown community that is a significant part of the success and the popularity of these two, you know, these two young women. And what's even more and more alarming is that white people are buying into this as well. They're like, oh, well, you know, look at look at those Negroes. They are like just spreading <laughs> it and popping it and dripping it and juicing it. And, and and serving it, you know, if they're doing, oh, okay. So that's how they conduct themselves. We're, we're here for it. But, but can again, I, sorry, can I just interject to ask, do you think it is that transactional? Because to your earlier point about Cardi B and her political engagement and her advocacy work and her, you know, her agency around Black Lives Matter, isn't there a duality or a, a layering to her being that actually is kind of positive? Because then I guess when you inject this, hyper-sexualized element to someone who is also politically engaged, who's also advocating for certain things to push culture forward, wouldn't you then argue that she's speaking to this idea that you don't have to be the saint or Madonna and that women could be complicated and contradictory and all of the manifestations of what it is to be a woman? Oh, like, yeah, but, like, but, yeah, like she's not absolutely. a singular, like she's not just like my pussy, my pussy, my pussy. And that's all we see of her. And she goes away. Then she comes back and she's like, my pussy, my pussy. Like she's doing other shit. So my whole right. thing is, can't you argue that there is a duality there that balances it out? It black people were. It, out, it makes it more detrimental. It makes it more sinister because the lane in which she, her, her political influence and the reason why, she, her, the, the reason why she's spoken about, her political influence is spoken about is because she's a young woman who is relatable, who speaks the vernacular of black and brown girls and they will digest what she has to say. So it's even more detrimental that in the same breath on the, you know, I, 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 right there on the same side of the coin, let's say, she's also espousing this hyper-sexualized um, uh, female agenda uh, that is also targeting this very same audience. So to me, that makes it even more sinister because, yeah, go vote. Go vote and then go go sell your body down the corner um, afterwards and pop that pussy. Like really, <laughs> but Jason. <laughs> but here's where it gets dangerous because she doesn't actually say let's go sell your body around the corner, and that's that's the thing where we get into this super conservative thing of yes, she's talking about her sexual desires and sexual preferences. 
I don't think she's talking about being a street hooker. That's what I'm saying, where we just like... Now make it rain if you want to see some wet ass pussy. Please, um, parse through that to me. Now make it rain if you want to see some wet ass pussy. Isn't that making it rain is like make sure you are paying. You're you're only gonna get see this wet ass pussy if you're paying. That's explicit. Pay my tuition just to kiss me on that wet ass pussy, Henrietta. That's what I I'm sorry. That's very transactional in in the language right there spelled out i'm sorry it's right there it's unequivocal that is what she's saying she may be speaking that for her but again we know how music influences you know it's like do like me i'm this is what i do you follow suit it's explicitly outlined there and it's kind of it's, it's kind of you know shocking to me that as a woman that you are, you're trying to find, you know, you're trying to find the out. You're trying to find the, the lack of accountability. You're trying to identify, you know, an area where there's no accountability to this that's um, not, detrimental that, language. No, that's not what I'm saying. If I'm honest, I don't fully know what my position is on the song because I'm somewhere on the fence. It is super explicit, but on the other hand, I also don't mind it. I mean, I think there are way more egregious things to talk about quite frankly and I think that it's also not the most egregious thing about this song that's like a sidebar um I want to circle back on your your rage almost around academics sport leaders and cultural critics being okay with, with this yeah and you being thoroughly disappointed with that and I think one of the things that I do think about that because I'm really surprised that that has happened because uh, these typically are people who are very critical of a number of similar or adjacent issues. So I'm very surprised that they've taken such a positive position on this and it's lacked any real criticism. And I think that part of it is what I was talking about earlier, which is that there is so much talk around misogynoir and the patriarchy and Me Too and self-expression and non-censorship and policing women's bodies that I wonder if people are really trying to toe that line of, I don't want this argument to be misconstrued as me being part of the patriarchy or me trying to like police women. If I take any shots at this song or if I highlight any critique around this song. And I think that's where we found ourselves, where it doesn't become a referendum on the song and your views on how explicit it is. It becomes a referendum on your vantage point of liberal themes like feminism and self-expression and how progressive you are, or if you're part of the patriarchy, or if you're racist, or if you're perpetuating misogynoir. And it becomes this thing where it's like people just don't want that smoke. So I wonder if that's where a lot of critical thinkers are getting kind of lost in because we are in a soundbite culture. So we don't necessarily look at things in isolated incidences, which I think is where we have found ourselves when it comes to critiquing this song specifically. Well, speaking for myself, speaking for myself, and I know that I brought up this, you know, the, the Mark Lamont Hills and, and, and the other intellectuals, um, Black intellectuals, but speaking for myself, who ultimately does not have a skin in this game. I don't have, um, I don't have a child, so who I think is you know is impacted by popular current popular culture. I, I don't have a child. My only skin in this game is as a cultural critic, as a journalist who who chronicles what goes on in culture. So that's my vantage. And so and, and as well, I happen to be uh, a gay man who has the 
utmost respect for women. In fact, I really, honestly, what I, as I said earlier, I really believe in the equality of men and women. I don't have a difference in my head at all, whether it comes to sexuality, you know, economics, zero, zero. So in fact, I'm a hugely objective person to speak on this. And I, I let me let me just sort of raise another another point, an adjacent point here in terms of influence and this culture. Um, Henrietta, I'm not from a place where lean is drank, you know, it's participated in it. You know, for those who don't know lean, lean is that cough syrup and essentially a drink that a lot of hip hoppers uh, drink and it has codeine and, and what did I say? Cough medicine, all this kind of thing. And it's incredibly addictive, apparently, and quite potent. And it's something that's quite steeped in hip hop culture. It has like, you know, cause people like seizures and all this kind of thing. It's just not something that I know. I don't know any communities that participate in it, but however, I know very much about it through hip-hop culture. And I dare say it intrigues me, not necessarily intrigues me to participate in because I, I'm, I'm like 90 years old and I don't really, you know, I don't <laughs> seek out those kind of things in my life, but it intrigues me as, a, as something that people are participating in. So I think about, well, if I'm really intrigued, like these hip-hoppers keep talking about lean and, you know, and zannies and, and that whole culture and all that. I'm I, I'm curious. I'm leaning in. I I could only imagine if I was a 12 year old, a 14, a 15 year old. Oh my God! I am leaning in and I am drinking. You know what I mean? Because my favorite uh, superstars are espousing this in their music. This is what this is the drink of choice, and it's been happening for years. And you know, so many of them are participating in it. So yeah, that influence is going to be great, and no doubt, this community has likely introduced lean, this incredibly toxic, addictive drink to you know to young black and brown girls and boys in our culture so i'm really holding on that line of influence and how things get in our culture and the detriment that it causes to our people and i don't want to be I don't, i'm not i don't want to be so boxing up here i really i'm not trying to be on this high horse and 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 feeling like you know i'm a, i'm above all of this fray i understand what's happening in culture i understand that sexuality sells i understand that purian things are interesting and people lean into that i understand that drug culture is attractive and all that i do i, I definitely understand all of that but it is the explicit the really explicit, spelled out, and as I dare say, prostitution component to all of this is just how explicit this really is and how it's literally being spoon-fed to these girls, I just find to be one of the most toxic introduction to culture. I, re I really do. And I, I haven't seen really anyone just focus on like those words and what that prescription really means for this community. That's where I'm staying on that. I, I don't know that I have that relationship to the, and maybe this is a testament to maybe who I know and who I am, but as someone who is literally listening to Missy and Lil' Kim and Foxy Brown and Trina from a very young age and grew up on that, I was not someone who was like, oh, like Lil' Kim's like, suck my dick, do this and do that. I'm going to go do that. I was literally like, don't touch me. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, get away. And but you were also a smart, less impressionable young girl, probably. <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about, the duality of someone like a Cardi B, right? Because... I took influences from different places. Like I was influenced heavily by my mother and my sisters and, and my aunts. And so 
for me, it's not that direct in the sense that you could be influenced by Cardi B's explicit music, but you could also be influenced by her political participation, which could offset everything that she's saying around. Um, why do you keep talking about this offsetting? No pun. <laughs> no pun, right? No offsetting. pun. That's what made me pause. Like, oh, okay. Well, the I'm political not set- participation. The political participation erases the raunchy disgusting sexual uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying it erases but to your point about it being a direct line to people being like okay well I guess I'm gonna be a hoe I'm saying that if it is that transactional then could you then argue that there are certain other influences that offset that and then I use myself as an example I almost exclusively listened to hip-hop well I had a huge I had a pop contingent also but I didn't grow up on the street corner. I wasn't, to your point, a hoe. I didn't get pregnant at 15. Like, you know, like, I, and, and I'm not an uncommon situation. I, I personally just don't think it's that direct. And maybe it's because I'm looking at my trajectory and trajectory of my friends who I know absolutely die for rap music, hip hop, culture, etc. So I'm just not looking at it as being that direct line as Cardi B says, therefore everyone does. I think there's other context around it. And I think that there's something to be said for judgment, critical thought, other influences, etc. Does it contribute? Of course. But I'm just saying, I think there are just so many other factors that to say this one song is so hugely problematic to like how women are going to see themselves, whatnot, I think is, is false. But also I think when we talk around, because I've been reading a lot about the song and it's interesting that it's overwhelmingly positive from a journalistic standpoint, right? All of the critique seems to be this idea of self-expression. And sometimes I think that goes too far when they're like, oh, well, you know, Black women are having a moment where, you know, there's a reckoning and we're reclaiming. And I'm like, I don't think this, I'm like, I don't know that this song does that personally. (laughs) Like, I think that's maybe a stretch, but you go with your opinion. That's fine. Cool. So I can see that there are extremes on both sides because I think what happens when you look on social media, so when you're looking in the comments, when you're looking in Twitter, you're just like, like people are really using this as a stick to beat culture. People who are just like, be prepared for the STD, you're a whore. It just in a way that is super egregious where I'm like, you got all of, all of this over a song. Like, really? So... I think it is making people slightly crazy, but that direct transactional idea of she says, therefore we do. I also want to flag the fact that I do think there is something in this coded um, messaging around sex because it's like advertising. It's like, yeah, you have explicit advertising around, you know, beauty ideals or smoking or, or drugs or things that we shouldn't really be paying attention to as a society or that could influence young minds or whatever. But I think when culture is so laced with all of these more sort of cloaked, coded ideas and ideals of sexuality, that's the shit that drips in and seeps in because it's just so prevalent. So for me, it's just easier to... For me, it's like we... Okay, Okay, what is that? 
that was you're, you're being a bit you're, you're being a little tricky there uh, you're being you're being a little tricky there no you're no no saying- just to qualify i'm just raising an additional point because i'm just like there's so much indictment around this explicit song and i think that we tend to glaze over and overlook the fact that this stuff is it's so prevalent within culture it's just all okay, coded and cloaked so I'll i'm so my whole thing going back to my question of where's the line because i see coded sexual messages in most things that sell and everyone just like glosses over it. I was like oh, no. driving I'll, past I'll these no, billboards and like yeah, listening to the radio, up. turn that song up, Miley's on, but we all want to massively indict this song. So m- my only added point, we tend to forget that we see cloaked and coded sexualized messaging everywhere. It's prevalent throughout Western culture, particularly. And we tend to overlook it often where like the same parents I just am saying that it's always been there in some way shape or form just putting out there a Wesleyan University study the the studies are there people are looking at these things in culture Henrietta they're not being ignored and they're not just seeping in because they're cloaked in you know in suggestive innuendos like it's not no it's not that's not that's not necessarily what's happening there's actual information actual studies here a Wesleyan University study states that 51% 51% of advertisements feature women portrayed as sex objects. And that was a study from 58 different um, magazines. And then in men's magazines, that was 76% of the time that women were portrayed as sex objects. So there is compelling adjacent data to all of this conversation. It's not just about Cardi B and, and Megan Stanley and a song. There is a wider sociological psychological studies that support, uh, you know, this sort of anti-hypersexualization that happens in culture or speaks to hypersexualization and the impact on culture. And I thought it was just very telling with the 76% of the time in men's magazine that women are objectified in, in this way. It's only reinforced, and I dare say advanced, in my eyes, negatively, because it's almost the envelope is pushed. Like, I, I don't even, I, I got to tell you, maybe this is, maybe I'm being sensational here, I, admittedly. Um, I don't know if I've heard a raunchier song. I grew up with Little Kim as well. I know those lyrics. I don't know that I've heard a more dripping, splashy, you know, cum-drenched lyrics in any song historically. And again, forgive my Forgive my my sensationalism, if you know, for those who's going to push back on that. Jason. But yes, I do think it kind of advances and pushes beyond the pale this whole narrative as to what women can express and how they can express it. And I think that's a very, very dangerous direction. Um. Yeah, I think you have definitely heard more explicit or songs that are just as explicit like off the top of my head you have like Lil Kim's Suck My Dick you have Kaya's My Neck My Back you have like a lot of things by Trina I don't think you I've have, like, heard bring a bucket and a mop for this wet ass <laughs> pussy before I don't think I've heard quite I don't think I've heard such cum drenched lyrics before I, I don't think I have <laughs> Okay, maybe not the same lyrics, but even like Lil' Kim's Not Tonight, I just feel like we've heard songs like this like throughout time. There's also this song which I I had to like look up actually because I was like, what is that one song that everyone referenced when everyone was losing their mind about Lil' Kim in the 90s? And it's um, um, Lucille, Bo- Lucille Bogan. Um, she, she went under the name of... Um, 
Bessie Jackson. She released a song in 1935 called Shave Em Dry, which if you want to go to the lyrics, Google the lyrics of that song, is absolutely wild. People were literally talking like that back in 1935. She was actually a blues singer, which also makes it even more sort of major. Um, And so this is what I'm saying, that when people are like, this is the most explicit song I've ever heard from a female artist, I'm like, but is it? But also... Again, to my earlier point, Madonna was quite literally simulating sex on stage and had a whole sex book. Like, I just don't think it is the most egregious thing that everyone's heard. And I I really think in that respect, everyone does need to calm down. I mean, we were talking about dancehall and bashment the other day. Like, we know that there is really explicit music that would be considered incredibly vulgar. This is by no means the worst thing. The one thing I will say about this song specifically, though, is that, you know, Lil' Kim... And maybe I don't remember, maybe I was quite young, but Lil' Kim wasn't like a mainstream, like she was obviously hugely exactly. popular. Exactly. She had crossover appeal, right? Mm-hmm. And she was like a, a huge cultural figure, let's say. But I think where Cardi B and Megan the Stallion is, is they're so mainstream. Like you would almost consider them exactly. pop, right? So yeah. Megan the Stallion, obviously, Hot Girl Summer, uh, Savage Challenge took over social media, Bodak Yellow, Cardi B, she's a social media maven, love and hip hop. These artists are so mainstream. So in a way that mainstream are talking about it, that every publication has written about it, they're just so popular. So maybe that's one of the things that I would point to as a point of difference here, because I think largely, while this is like an age-old conversation, I think now it's just like it's super popular where you have young white teens who are like, Cardi B is amazing in a way that that wasn't the case, I don't think, with Lil' Kim, but I could be wrong. Well, I have a firm position on this, and I will punctuate with, you know, I think um, culture is conveniently blurring the lines between, you know, empowerment and oppression. And this is still coming down to, this is still coming down to, you know, society rewarding women primarily for their sex appeal, for their physical attractiveness, and now for their raw, unapologetic um, sex display for anyone, including young girls to see and to be influenced by. And I think it's a travesty. So I don't have a firm position. And I think that in and of itself might bother me. But I think that my question to you is, who's to say that that isn't the case? Who's to say that it isn't female empowerment? Who's to police all this is my question. Like, who's to say that everything you said is actually not true? That they're coming from a position of power, they're allowed to say and do what they want, as long as they're not hurting anybody or advocating for anyone hurting anybody. Who's to say that they need to be censored? And I guess one question I have for you quickly before we go is, what would your solution be that we just don't talk about sex or, or we're not allowed to talk about it in an explicit nature? And then how explicit is too explicit? Like, where is that line? I think it can be, I think you can talk about sex. I think you can be as explicit as you want. I th- and there's, n- anything goes. Anything goes in my book. Um, however, I don't think anything goes for a seven-year-old girl. I think, one, that there should be some, certainly some thinking about who this music is targeting, the influence it's having on this target audience, 
And if it's targeting young, but particularly black and brown girls to essentially use their bodies to not even just use their bodies. That's not that's tempered using raw, raunchy, sexual appeal to to get what they want to get ahead in life. That, I, I think, is doing a disservice to our culture. And that's incumbent on the artists to, in fact, think about what they're putting out into culture. And it's incumbent on them to make those changes. Because you know what? Those radio heads and so forth and those executives, they're not going to have you second-guess yourself and be like, well, do you really want to influence your people? You want to influence your lot in this way? They're not going to stop you because, as you said, sex sells and this kind of purient information in music does sell. And so, yeah, it's ultimately about the, you know, the almighty dollar. And this is a shortcut, certainly, to that. So it's incumbent on the artist. That's what I'm, that's what I'm asking. If you're proud of putting that out, then fine. You know, you put that out. But uh, and I also think there's a responsibility on the parents' part. Yeah, so you know, one right. like, that's not give the artist. Like the parents should, you know, censor, you know, what their child or tailor what their child um, listens to and so forth. But we know how culture works. Come on, you know, we know how culture works. We know like a parent could never stop a Cardi B and a Megan Stallion from getting in the ears of their child. But you, so you do think that this is targeted to young people and children? Absolutely, absolutely. As she said, I, I did say that before. She's like. We're really looking like Disney princesses <laughs> up in here, aren't we? This is Cardi B's quote. You could look on her Instagram right now. I think it's the most recent post. I thought that was so, so offensive. Disney princesses? Is a Disney princess speaking to a 40-something-year-old, a 27-year-old, a 33-year-old? No, a Disney princess is speaking to a 7-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 6-year-old. That's. Who I feel like princess. you're getting really convoluted because I think her saying... I'm not don't... convoluted at all, Henry. I've been very clear, actually. I'm not convoluted. Um, I think her making an observation that that's what they look like isn't to say that her goal was to look like a Disney princess so that seven-year-olds are getting entangled with her music. I think that that's not, her, that's not the point. And I think that ultimately what you're saying then is if you're pop... Because my whole thing is like, where's the line? So I'm just trying to get a better understanding as to that from you and, and your vantage point of that. So... Ultimately, what you're saying is if you're popular and you have mass appeal and a broad influence, you shouldn't be, in terms of this sexual spectrum that we're talking about, you shouldn't be past the middle. But if your niche and like only people of a certain generation or a certain age are listening to you, then go ham because like you're only going to be played at certain times in certain pockets and you're not going to be on, on the cultural airwaves. You're just going to be playing to your niche audience and that's okay. Sure. Is that what you're there's saying? That. Is that absolutely. what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, there's some, absolutely. There's something that I don't want to get into the mechanics of, how, of like, you know, let's play after 10 p.m. Please, let's not have that conversation. Let's actually close up this conversation. But yes, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to start doing radio programming. But yes, to your point, I am speaking about something to that effect. It should, it certainly should not be coming from the most popular pop icons right now that is literally broadcasted to the, the hundreds of millions of people and more, more, more of them children than not. That, that, that's my point. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, to that, I disagree. But I think that we could, again, like most topics, we could talk about this all day. And I think we should definitely revisit it because like a lot of things, that it's just, it's a lot of gray area. And I honestly, in everything that I've heard, read, spoken about, had dialogue with multiple people, I don't think there's a right answer if I'm honest, and I know you, you kind of get annoyed that I sometimes like sit on the fence on a lot of issues, but looking on both sides, I just don't 
think there's a right issue. I think it is really subjective and it's an individual choice. On that note, thank you so much for joining us this episode. This was a heated one, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> and um, and we, will, we would love to hear your thoughts um, in, in the comments on this. Um, because it, it's been a polarizing subject for sure, and it's been polarizing in this conversation. Um, so yeah, we look forward to hearing your comments on this. And thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye.